righty, guys, if we'll make our way back to our seats. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Psalm 34. Or, of course, you can read along on the screen. Or your favorite app or whatever. If we'll go to this key, as we as we've did each week, we're walking through these emotions because we're wanting to learn to submit all of our life to the Lordship of Jesus. And if we're going to do that with any type of honesty and integrity, we're going to have to deal with how we feel. And so one thing we're trying to, to learn to practice is just to become aware that we do have feelings. Some of us need to do that and to be able to identify what those are, to articulate, to name them, and to give them to God. And so right now, just as we've done each week and encourage us to do in our daily lives before the Lord in prayer, Look at these eight emotions and just to yourself and before the Lord, which ones are you feeling? Now maybe as briefly as you can and get the conversation started before God, maybe for later today, why? What's going on behind that? Now through faith, cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. Let's read Psalm 34. Today we're going to be talking about fear. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. O oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life, who loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for this inspired by the spirit testimony of David that we find ourselves wrapped up in today. 
We ask now, God, that you would open our eyes to see truth, to experience grace, to be changed by you. We need you, God, and we thank you that you are near. We thank you for this because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, on these weeks when my wife is with the kids, I can get away with saying a lot more in here. So one thing I'd like to say is I remember our first night that we were together, we watched our first movie together, and it was the cinematic masterpiece Zoolander. If you've not heard of it, it got robbed at the academies, and I'm also not giving an endorsement of it, so don't go watch it. But anyway, it worked, evidently, because here we are still to this day, almost 20 years later from that night, and yet if I was thinking more maybe deceptively, if I was had a better maybe game, if that's the right word to use, probably it wouldn't have been to watch a movie like Zoolander to produce any type of closeness that could lead to any type of relationship. Now, we're not too past the holiday Halloween, but if you really want to kind of deceptively try to get close to someone, at least physically, what kind of movie should you choose? A scary movie. Why? Because there's something about fear, right, that makes people want to draw closer together. <laughs> and sometimes, maybe even if it's a stranger. But there's this thing in fear that we, we really don't want to be alone. And fear can be manipulative, or fear can be a greater pathway to intimacy than maybe many of us have been yet to realize. And what I want us to consider today is that what if your fears are the way that you're going to experience a closeness to God, to yourself, and to other people than maybe you've ever experienced before? For some of you, maybe fear, telling the truth about your fears, feeling your fears, may be the way that you actually experience an authentic relationship with somebody in the first place in your entire life. Because you've been playing this game in your life that is just anxiety-fueled, trying to control everything, trying to keep yourself safe so that everyone and everything, maybe even your own heart, has been kept at arm's distance. This may be why you're the type of person who would say, I'm not afraid, but then always has an excuse for why you don't make a commitment, always has an excuse for why you don't show up, always has an excuse for why you don't really try, and why you live a life that is trying to manhandle other people or manipulate other people for control, and you're trying to say, I'm not afraid. That's what makes me strong. When all those things are the greatest description of a scared person. And that's exactly why many of us are where we are today and why all of us are to some extent where we are today. Whether you present yourself as a tender person or a tough person, so many of us are racked by a fear of our past sometimes, of our present, or many of us were living in this imagination of the future that has us bound up and enslaved to playing God. has deep physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual issues that are prompting us and leading us into deep anxieties that leads us to use people, substances, or whatever it takes just to try to get some kind of control over the uncontrollable. 
David Pallison said, most of the noise in our souls is by trying to control the uncontrollable. Someone else has said, maybe Seneca, that it's often we suffer more in our imaginations than we do in reality. Some of us suffer twice when bad things do happen. And most of the time, many of us suffer once for something that never happened. And maybe all of us are suffering again and again because of something that has happened. And you're exhausted. Well, the good news is that God knows it all. All that scary stuff in your past, all that scary stuff you're worried about in the present, all that scary stuff you're thinking might be coming in the future, and He has not numbed Himself to it. He's not worried, He's not raging, He's not anxious, but He's here for you and He's calling you to come close to Him in experiencing Him as that refuge that you're longing for. But the only way that you will get to that is you've got to face your fears. You've got to face it, you've got to feel it if you're to experience the freedom that only God can give. And this is what we're going to see here, Psalm 34, a big, beautiful psalm with lots of things that we can't go into. But the first thing we see is we face our fears and experience the freedom of God by stopping the denial of our fear. David is not denying his fears. He's talking openly about them. He's calling us in these first three verses to come together and to magnify the Lord. Now why is he calling us to magnify the Lord? The rest of the psalm is talking about the fear of the Lord versus the fears of man. And he's telling us we have a God who is greater than whatever it is that we fear. And so when he's calling us to magnify the Lord, somebody used this one time, I can't remember who it was, No, no credit to me. There's two types of magnification. There's a microscope magnification, and what a microscope does is it takes something little and makes it look big. But that's not this type of magnification. The other type of magnification is telescopic or telescope magnification. And what a telescope does is it takes something really big and brings it into focus so that we who are small can see it for what it is. And what David is saying in the face of his fears is he's not going to deny them, but he's going to let them lead him into seeing this God who is so big and bringing into focus versus our fears. This is the dude who kills Goliath. This is the dude who they say Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And he is not ashamed to talk about his fears because it provides the opportunity to talk about the greatness of God. One might say why David in verses 4 through 7 is talking here about the Lord's delivering him from his fears, from his shame, that he cried out to him, and that the the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. One might say the big difference between David and Saul was how they faced their fears. We'll come back to this in a minute, but David is a very imperfect man. We could argue that he maybe did some things that were equal to or even worse to than the things that Saul did. But what was the difference between Saul and David? One depended on themselves in the face of their fears and the other ran to God. Saul denied, David felt. And a life of trying to go around our fears like Saul did is what we should fear. 
A life of self-dependence. A life of manipulation. A life of rage. We don't have time. Go read First and Second Samuel and, and note these contrasts between Saul and David. One handles fear in a way that leads to faith and another one leads, follows fear that leads to foolishness. Recently, Cassie, was, my wife, was talking to, to someone who was in a very difficult situation that involved uh, addiction and involved some just scary circumstances. And this lady said, what I'm doing now is I always sleep with my shoes on. Because you never know what's going to happen. Imagine that, living in such a state that you're like, I'm not going to go to sleep without my shoes on because i got to get ready to go at any moment. Now, some of you might say, I can't imagine going to bed every night like that. But I think if many of us are honest, that's how you go into every part of your life. There are no doubt some of you here this morning who that's how you live. I'm always keeping my shoes on. I don't know when this relationship's going to take a turn. I don't know when something's going to go on at work. I don't know when something's going to go on with God. And so I got my shoes on. I'm ready to go. And so you're never really present anywhere. You always got one foot in and one foot out. Why? Because that's how you keep yourself safe. This is not how God has created us to live. And yet, sadly, it's how many of us have learned to survive in this fallen world. But the only step to freedom that we take first is we've got to stop denying that and just feel it. You've got to own that. Is that you? Is your heart living with its shoes on? Some of you may be taught that fear is bad. By your family, by your church. But David's just talking about it. Maybe you've heard fear is a lack of faith, or fear is sinful, or fear is something you can just put out of your mind, or it's childish or immature, you can will it away, pray it away, or it's a sign of weakness that will lead you to be further hurt, abused, abandoned, or accused. All of us have a script that we're playing off of when it comes to fear. The question is, is that a script that has been designed and led by the Holy Spirit or by your own fleshly adaptive strategies to survive in this world. If you're going to get free, you've got to feel it. You've got to feel it, and you can't let the flesh shame you for it. You can't let others shame you for it. Some of you, because of how you've been thought, taught about fear, you feel guilty for feeling fear. And so I feel afraid, and so now all of a sudden I feel guilt because I feel afraid. Or you feel shame because you feel afraid. Like, why am I afraid? What's wrong with me? I shouldn't be afraid. And so what you do is you stuff that down. And instead of running to God with your fear, you turn from God because you think God doesn't want you to feel that. If I go to God and I say I'm afraid, He's, he's just going to reject me. He's just going to condemn me. So i got to get over here and figure all this out so then I can come to Him with faith. And all you're doing is playing God. Or worse, trying to partner with Him as a fellow God. We're afraid. And I was, I was afraid this week. I shared with my fight club, it's pretty bad when you're 
you know, freaking out over preparing a sermon on fear. Like, I can't, I can't live this. How am I supposed to get up and talk about it to people? And it's such a big issue, I'm going to say something wrong. And then I probably have cancer and I don't know it yet. This is what starts going on in my mind. I'll probably preach too long and somebody won't come back. I'll probably get mad when I go home tonight, ruin my kids, and they'll have to do extra years in therapy. I'm a phony and everybody's going to find out. And then I start to panic and get anxious, and then I just start watching YouTube videos. And then I just say, what can I eat to make myself feel better? Who could I send a text to that's nice and encouraging so maybe they'll give me an approval hit? Or I can, how can I get super enthusiastic? I'm just grasping, right? What, something, help me. Help me cover this fear. Because I don't want to feel it. I don't want to deal with it. But we're all dealing with it. When we don't deal with it, it leads to that deeper anxiety, which anxiety someone is defined just simply as unacknowledged or unsurrendered fear. And it's so physical, isn't it? Our bodies tense up. Our, you know, maybe depression, you go flat, but anxiety, right? Your heartbeat starts to race. You can't sleep. You can't rest. Your mind starts going crazy with all these worst-case scenarios and, and this domino effect. Again, right? I can't prepare a sermon. I probably have cancer. Then it's emotional, and all the other emotions get involved with it. So again, I feel shame or guilt or loneliness because of the fear. And then it's relational. It starts to, you, you, you think you can control it, but it just starts to permeate everybody that you're around. You become this kind of like anxious presence where it's like, no matter, you know, I'm feeling fine. Everything's okay, you know. Let's read the Bible together. And it's, and it's like, dude, everybody can feel this. And then we lead to those classic responses of fight or flight or freeze. Some of us, we get anxious. And again, we talked about this a little before, that it's that anxiety is not dealt with if it's not felt, if those fears aren't brought before the Lord and surrendered or, 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 or given to Him or worked through, then, then we get, some of us get really angry. We talked about how rage is not, uh, not really anger. Rage is fear. This is why a lot of men especially, and it's not just men, it's women too, but I mean, they'll kind of say, I'm, I'm not anxious. Well, if you see somebody who's going wild, the, the note is, it's not simply they're angry. What are they? They're really afraid of something right now. They're that goat stuck in the fence, right? And you're trying to help it get out, and all it's doing is just kicking like a wild, wild animal, right? Because it thinks you're trying to hurt it. Uh, Allison Cook, in a book, Boundaries for the Soul, says this, The problem is we all tend to avoid facing our fears, and that's when anxiety steps in as a protector. Unlike fear, anxiety is chaotic, future-oriented, and creative. It thinks of all kinds of things for you to worry about, things that may have no bearing on your current reality. In doing so, your anxiety protects you from facing the real things you fear by keeping you distracted. I'm going to read that again. 
In doing so, your anxiety protects you from facing the real things you fear by keeping you distracted. It's often easier to dwell on the things that might happen than to implement a plan to counter real threats. She says, your exiled fear doesn't need to be starved or shunned. It needs to be understood. If it's going to lead to Psalm 34, 1-7, magnify the Lord with me. You will never get to this, this passion for the glory of a great, big, and better God until you're willing to bring those things that scare you to death before Him. It actually is a sign of what your true theology of the greatness of God is is by how often you bring the things that you fear the most to Him. So we face our fears and the experience of the freedom of God by, by feeling them, by not denying them, but also by sharing them with God. And we'll, Verses 8 through 18 show us this. And just move quickly here. David is like telling us now, I believe, the way that we can get to this place of where we've experienced God is greater than what we fear. And he tells us to taste and see that God is good. Now this is, this is big. Our fears sometimes and our anxieties operate in the world of the what if and of the maybe, but sometimes they're also rooted in the fact that some things have really happened to us wrong. I've used this illustration before, but if you were to walk into your backyard and you were to see a stick and you like jumped, right? It's probably because one time you went in your backyard and there was a snake there. And so now you're walking around with all these kind of sticks in your life and, and you're jumping. You're afraid everywhere you go. So sometimes it's just imagination and sometimes it's based on past experience. But what David is saying, that if we want to find our fears defeated by the greater reality and fear of the Lord, then we have to taste and see that the Lord is good. And you could translate this in another way, try and experience. Try and experience that the Lord is good. Imagination beats intellect usually every time. So how many of you have a wonderful theology of God's sovereignty and yet you're just anxious wrecks? Is because that doctrinal statement has got to be tasted and seen if it's really going to change your life. Isaiah knew about the holiness of God, but it was until he experienced it before his throne that he was like, here am I, send me. Job said, I knew about you, but now I know about you. So how do we taste and see that the Lord is good? How do we try and experience? Well, verses 11 through 14, I think, point us this way in this call to holiness, this call to faithfulness, this call to a life of trusting God. We will taste and see that Lord, the Lord is good if we test and see that the Lord is good. It can be learned. But we've got to try God. There's a big debatable phrase that some of you are familiar with called Christian hedonism. And it basically is just saying that God actually can bring us greater pleasure in our life than anything in this world. And God actually isn't saying that you love pleasure too much. He's saying you don't like it enough. And so you're settling to eat mud pies in the slum, C.S. Lewis, when he's offered you a holiday at sea. 
because of your anxiety to connect it to this point is you're willing to fiddle over here and just do what you know is safe. It's safe down here in the ditch. It's at least the ditch that I know. But I'm not going anywhere else. And so God is challenging us through His Word today in the face of your fears to taste and see by testing Him. But there's no halfway measures here. So many people in the religious South feel like they've been there and done that, but all they did is they've just tried to tack God onto their life. It's like me one time, and if y'all like this, then this is a bad illustration, but here we go. It's like me one time going to this restaurant, and I saw that they had a hamburger with peanut butter on it. And I thought, I like peanut butter, and I like hamburgers. What could go wrong? Well, everything. At least in my experience, that wasn't a good combination. If you try to tack God onto your self-protection, self-redemptive, self-safety fear things, I'm just going to tell you this right now. Not only will that not work, you will be more miserable. If you try to just say, well, I'm going to, I'll, I'll dab a little bit of God onto the way that I already live as God, you're just going to end up hating God worse. Then you'll blame Him for it. But the Bible teaches us, this psalmist teaching us, the gospel teaches us, is God is not some flavor of the month for you to try. He loves you too much to lead you into that. He's the God, as verses 15 through 18 tell us, who sees us, who hears us, and who is near to us when we are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. But we've got to follow Him into this faith. Some of you have came up against significant fears in your life. And you've had somebody who literally or physically maybe walked with you through that. Maybe as a child, I remember when I was little, I would lay on my bed and I would hear like footsteps coming down the hall. And they never reached me. But I, I promise, in my mind, I could hear those footsteps coming like somebody was coming after me. And I wouldn't want to get up out of the bed. I wouldn't do anything. And I was weird. It's like, I can't put my arms over the side because something will get me. Right? But if I had my dad or my mom, I was okay. I could walk could actually put my hand over the side of the bed. I could roll over and make a sound. I think sometimes as an adult, I know that's how I live. As I get in those fears, I get trapped in my head. And I just want to... I'm not much of a fighter, I guess. But I'll freeze. Just, just want to go to sleep. Or I just want to numb this. But what God is inviting us into is a deeper experience of Him than maybe we've ever had if we'll bring our fears to Him. He's not going to be another fix for us. God is not coming to numb you from what you're afraid of. And honestly, He's not even coming to give you escape from it every time. He's coming to be with you in it. And to find He's enough. He's not going to tell you everything about your future. 
He's not going to tell you all the facts about your experience. And He's not going to make your life so fun that you don't feel any pain. But He's going to give you a deeper fulfillment than any of those things. But you're going to have to taste and see that He is good. And the only way you're going to taste and see that He is good is you're going to have to test and see that He is good. And the only way you'll be able to test and see that He is good is if you trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him with your body. Trust Him to, to breathe in His presence. Say, God, help me relax. Trust Him with your emotions to be able to name those before Him and not think, well, that's just going to make things worse. Trust Him with your relationships that you can reach out to somebody and have somebody. You need somebody. We need somebody to say, I am afraid right now. Trust Him with His Word. Trust that He is bigger. This whole text runs through with this theme of the fear of the Lord versus the fears of humanity. The only way that we will be able to face fear is if we believe that God is greater. This is what this phrase, the fear of the Lord, means. It doesn't mean that we walk around sort of coward like God's going to strike us down. It means that you live in, a, in, the, in light of the reality is that God is the ultimate reality. There's nothing to be feared that is bigger than Him. And when we do that, God then by His Spirit gives us the gift of both faith and wisdom. When we give up the reins of manipulation and, and management and control, then we can learn from our fears, right? If you touch a hot stove and burn your hand, right, you learn wisdom. You don't say, well, I'm just going to burn my hand until it goes callous so that I don't feel anything anymore. You learn that God is a refuge who is there. No doubt some of you have been abandoned, abused, accused by people in your life in horrible ways that causes you to live as if it were with your shoes on. But God wants you to taste and see that He will never leave you nor forsake you. God wants you to taste and see that He's going to be there as a refuge that won't take away your life. Drugs, try them as a refuge, they'll take everything. The approval of man, try that as your refuge. It'll never be enough. You'll need more approval, more affirmation. Control, success, power, whatever idol you want to put in there, those refuges will use you and leave you more anxious for more of all that they can offer and it will never be enough. But God will say, I love you. I'm here for you. You don't got to do anything. And I'm not going anywhere. How do we know that? Well, we have to rest in our... In this last section, in the gift of God's righteousness. Verses 19 through 22 point us in this direction. There's going to be many afflictions, but the Lord delivers them. Affliction will slay the wicked. Verse 22, but the Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. David is confident because of God's refuge for the righteous. But wait a minute. This is the David who will, who will be the adulterer. This is the David who will be the schemer, the murderer, the manipulator. And this is still in our Bibles. Why? Because the Lord redeems those who take refuge in Him. 
What does it mean to take refuge in the Lord if we step into this old covenant mindset? It's not merely saying, God, you're my God whom I affiliate with on the census report. No, it's, it's, it's talking about a faith that comes to God in confession. It's talking about a faith that comes to God through the sacrificial system that makes this public, holistic declaration that God, if you do not atone for my sins, God, if you do not declare me as righteous, then I cannot stand before your holiness. God, if you do not meet me as you met Isaiah with a, taunt from a, with a coal from the altar to purify my unclean lips, then I cannot even stand before you. But those who come to the Lord as refuge find they will never be condemned. In Matthew 14, 22-33, we're going to read it, but we don't have time. It's this, this beautiful story of when Jesus is walking on the water. And as Jesus walks on the water and this storm arises, the disciples, it says that they were terrified. And Peter, tough Peter, right? Peter's like, I'm going to come to you, Lord. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water with Jesus. Can you imagine that? It would be amazing. But the storm's still blowing, and it says that as Peter saw the... I'm paraphrasing here. Heard the wind and saw the waves, he started to sink. He got afraid. Because he took his eyes off Jesus. What Peter thought at first was a good idea, all of a sudden was a horrible idea. And guess what? That's exactly if some of you go out this week and you say... I'm going to taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm going to embrace my fears. I'm going to go for it. Guess what's likely going to happen? You're going to take some steps out on that water, and all of a sudden you're going to be like, this was a horrible idea. <laughs> this was a horrible idea. It's just going to happen. And you're going to be in this situation with Peter, and you're going to start sinking. Now, did Peter start to just swim to save his life? It just, is he Peter still out there on the sea right now just treading water? It, anxious treading water, that's how we live our lives. Now what did Peter do? It said he cried out to Jesus and he said, Lord, rescue me. And this is what is amazing about this. Verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Voice of the heart says, he didn't say, hmm, have you learned your lesson, young man? Why don't you struggle down there for a while? No, he grabbed his hand and rescued him. That was his response. But he didn't stop there. He immediately rescued him but then he said these words to him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? This language for doubt is talking about this, this sort of double-mindedness. I got one eye on the storm and one eye on the Savior. And what Jesus is calling us to do is to put our eyes on him. 
but especially as we see our sinfulness. You might think, well, I'm no David and I'm no Peter. Well, where's Peter going to be later on in this story? Peter's going to be denying Jesus at his time of greatest need. Jesus' rescue of Peter here in this storm is pointing us to a rescue that is far greater and is at the root of all of our fears, the fear of death, the fear of hell, the fear of separation from self, from God, from others. And my response to this psalm's end as I was reading through it and as I felt like I was sinking is I am not righteous. Does this psalm apply to me? Because guess what many days my greatest fear is? My greatest fear is not something out there. My greatest fear out is not you. My greatest fear is me. I know what I'm capable of. I know the sin that can live in my heart. I know the damage that I can do, the hurt that I can cause, the hurt that I have done. And that anxiety causes this striving for acceptance with God and with others and even with self. But the only way that we can't, will not sink in that fear is by a faith that puts our eyes on Jesus. Not merely in this walking on these waters, but merely and greatly hanging on the cross. Have you ever considered that Jesus has already took on your worst case scenario? The worst thing in the world that could ever happen to you. Jesus bore it for you on the cross. He took on our sin, our suffering, our enemy, Satan. And He rose from the dead and He says, I am with you. And if we can taste and see that the Lord is good as we look to Jesus on the cross and we see to what lengths that the Father has went to so that we might have a freedom from our fears and a fellowship with Him, then we can trust Him with all our smaller fears. If He has taken hell for us, He will be with us on Tuesday. If He has paid for our sins, He's not going to leave us in our exams. If He has paid for our sins and risen from the dead, then He's going to be with us when our loved ones die. When we die. If He has risen from the dead, then no matter what arises in your life this week, He will be there and He will be with you and He will be enough. He will cry with you. He will walk with you. He will not leave you. And one day He will return and make all things right. But we've got to go through it. We've got to go through it. There's a, there's a children's book called We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Somebody may have heard it. It says, we're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-uh. Grass. Long, wavy grass. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no. We've got to go through it. Swishy-swashy, swishy-swashy, swishy-swashy. I should have did this on the Sunday the kids were in here. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-uh, a river, a deep, cold river. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no, we've got to go through it. 
And it goes through a few different lines here I won't read you, and it ends with, we're going on a bear hunt, we're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh Uh-oh, a cave, a narrow, gloomy cave. We can't go under it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. Tiptoe, tiptoe, tiptoe. What's that? One shiny wet nose, two big furry ears, two big goggly eyes. It's a bear. Quick, back through the cave. Tiptoe, tiptoe, tiptoe. Back through the snowstorm. Hoo woo, hoo woo, hoo. Back through the forest. Stumble trip, stumble trip, stumble strip. Back through the mud. Squelch, squelch, squelch. Back through the river. Splish, splosh, splish, splosh. Back through the grass. Swishy, swashy, swishy, swashy. Get to our front door. Open the front door. Upstairs. Oh no, we forgot to shut the door. Back there. Back downstairs, back upstairs, into the bedroom, in the bed, under the covers. I'm not going on a bear hunt again. If you can just see the pictures, it ends with this family who's faced all these fears together, now closer and tighter than ever before. But you can't go under it. You can't go around it. You've got to go through it. If you want to experience intimacy with God, with others, and with yourself then you're going to have to go through your fears. But the good news is you will not go through them alone. No matter who else lets you down and how much you let yourself down, God is faithful. And He is faithful enough for us today to begin to face our fears and experience freedom with Him. Father, we thank You that You are with us. Forgive us for stuffing our fears and facing them as if we don't need you. And thank you, God, that you don't condemn us or shame us as we sink, but you immediately reach for us to lift us up and to free us from our doubt and to increase our faith. And we ask now as we come to the table, might we taste and see through this bread and cup that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, if you would just close your eyes for a second and reflect with me. Before we come to the table, what is it? What are you afraid of? That you need to see Jesus both conquering and comforting you through His finished work. Maybe it's an idol that you've ran to instead of Jesus and you just need to come to Him and say, Jesus, thank you that you were better. Maybe it's a wound that you've suffered in your life that leaves you so anxious and afraid and you need to come to Jesus and He's not asking you to repent of that. He just wants you to rest in Him. Maybe it's a lie that you believe. Maybe it's a deception that you make up about what others think about you in some attempt to keep yourself safe. You need to hear Him through this bread and this cup saying that He has not created you to live in an anxious loneliness. And then as we come to the table, might we, as we share, encourage one another with the gospel of the faithfulness of God. Jesus, we thank you for your body given for us and your blood shed. May we now participate together in that finished work through the bread and the cup. Amen.